2: Good afternoon and welcome to Power Lunch, everybody. Alongside Kelly Evans, I'm Tyler Matheson. And coming up, we are 24 hours, almost to the minute, from the Fed's decision on interest rates. Many market watchers think there's a cause to pause. Today's CPI, big inflation reading, showing the slowest growth in two years there. We're going to discuss what it all means for the Fed and the markets, plus a Reddit revolt. Users shutting down parts of the site to protest new fees. As Reddit tries to raise revenue ahead of a potential IPO, where are going to people? People going to go to get their stock advice? Kelly,
3: Wall Street bets don't mess with that. Hi, everybody. Let's uh, get a quick check on the markets before all of that. Dow's up 173. We're pretty much at session highs right now, about 50 points off. S&P's up 31 to 4370. Nasdaq's up eight tenths of a percent. Tesla is higher again today. 14th day in a row in the green if it closes here. Never had a streak like that. Up 41% during this win streak, which began on May 25th. Up 3.5% today, too, so a nice margin. Netflix, another stock on a roll, up 25% in a month. B of A, the latest brokerage, to say their password-sharing crackdown is boosting subscriber growth. Netflix also taking a stab at live sports. They'll be hosting a celebrity golf tournament later this year. Those shares are up 2.5% today. And got to mention Oracle rising to an all-time high after earnings, beating expectations on cloud computing growth, unveiling plans for generative AI for businesses. Larry Ellison's net worth climbing quickly on the back of this monster move in the shares to an all-time high, Tyler.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Kelly. We start with the Fed as we are less than 24 hours away now from the big decision on interest rates. The Fed widely expected to pause tomorrow, but uh, could signal their intent to hike again as soon as July, kind of uh, pause with some teeth in it. Uh, This comes as uh, today's CPI report on inflation shows that prices rose of 4% from last year. That is the slowest pace of growth in two years. If you break it out, prices for car repairs, pet food, frozen food, vegetables, they are growing the fastest. Airfares, gasoline, health insurance prices falling the most. I question the thing on the airfares, though. Here with more on how all of this uh, impacts the Fed is Joyce Chang, Chair of Global Research at JP Morgan. So, where in what camp do you fall? Uh, or do you believe that the Fed will pause tomorrow but signal? its readiness and willingness to continue
4: raising rates as needed? Well, I'm in the pause camp, but a pause is just a pause, and I think they will signal that their bias is to hike. And even though you've seen inflation come down a, a tick, you see that something comes down in inflation, energy, but then food prices go up. And so, just U.S. core inflation, it's been resilient, it's been sticky, and I think that Jefferson signaled this very well. They're going to pause, really assess where they're at, but I think the bias is for hiking, particularly when you look around the rest of the world, because that's what we've seen other central banks really doing as well as inflation has remained resilient.
2: So what is the terminal rate then? Is it a quarter point above where we are now? Is it a half point above where we are
4: now? Can you say? I, I think it could still go another, you know, 25 to 50 basis points um, from here. And you could really w- well see that we're still talking about the recession risk, but everybody's talking about is this a first half 2024 recession? Because hmm. the macro data that's coming out is just you know also very resilient. So the global expansion has been resilient, but inflation has also been resilient. So I think that is still an ongoing risk. I know soft landing is what a lot of people are talking about, but I would be more in the no landing camp and that you have this risk. Just wait for it. It can play out later in the year, early next year.
3: The markets are Something to ponder, you know, (laughs) when they look at some of the all time highs we're notching today, when they look at the strength of, you know, tech stocks in particular, but just any kind of momentum area. We mentioned uh, Tesla and Netflix just a moment ago. How do you think that factors into the Fed's decision?
4: I think that the Fed has actually looked at the market movements and really separated this. I mean, they've separated also some of the financial stability concerns from really looking at inflation. And I think a lot of the central banks had sort of multiple things they were looking at, and they've really come back to their core mandate on inflation. So it wouldn't surprise me if some of this momentum continues a bit, but I would also not be surprised if in the summer, as liquidity gets weaker, and particularly when you look at what's happening in um, the Treasury market bond market, It's that you have more of a sell-off in risk assets, and that is more of a July-August phenomena that could play out.
2: Treasury yields up a little bit today. What are bonds implying about equity pricing? over the next months. Well,
4: you know, we've taken a look at this. And, you know, if you look at equity vol, it's pricing in like a 3% chance of recession. We've really looked at this and said, if you had the same inflation dynamics being priced in that bond markets are pricing in, you'd see equities 20% lower. So you're seeing some real dissonance between bond and equity markets. And the Fed. Well, you know, I think that the bond market has it right. But the timing has been really tough on this one because we've had so much government support. You know, we still had 5% government spending in the first quarter of the year that, you know, everybody's been waiting for the recession. Um, Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine every quarter, we said the recession is starting. So I think there are many people thinking, well, you know, I can't in the equity market afford to miss this rally. And you're getting pulled back in now for a fixed income investor it's different because you can stay in cash and you know um and in the short and and still get a very decent yield but i think in equities there's a sense of well if you think this recession is not coming until next year am i going to be missing out on this as you look at the data that's printing
3: it's funny too because we start to see jobless claims ticking up continuing claims are already up with levels consistent with you know us going into recession in the past so you also have a situation where people are saying okay well Maybe there's no landing for now, but it seems to me like they're not ruling out the possibility that this ends that poorly altogether. Well, you know, I, and, and it just yeah. it seems odd that to say, well, well, the market would, you know, it sold off early last year. Okay, we bought them early. Like, well, that that could be 18 months to two years before the recession starts, and. It just feels like there's
4: no precedent for that, that we would, of course, begin to sell off again, you know, if, if the slowdown does eventually come. Yeah, you no. Know, and I think that this is the challenge. I mean, you've had the Fed raising rates, but real rates are still so low. So this recession risk will take longer to play out. But you're starting to see some shifts in business sentiment. You're starting to see bankruptcy levels rise. But you've had such strength in both the household and the corporate balance sheet and still strong government spending that it's just taking longer. But I wouldn't, you know, downplay some of the risks that you still need to monitor. It's just that a lot of these are slow moving, a slow burn. It's not fast and furious.
2: Let me just come back and make sure I understand correctly. You said that bonds are basic. If you look at what bonds have been doing, they would t- and you look at equity volatility and so forth you you would say that equities are 20% overvalued did i hear you correct well
4: so the, if you were actually pricing in the same inflation dynamics into the bond market into the equity market it would imply that prices would be about 20% lower than where so they are so are
2: you then saying that we should be more prepared for a declining equity market than we are today
4: oh no, definitely that has been our view and we do think that some of this excess savings the rising cost of capital I mean, that's going to eat into earnings at some point. But you've had more momentum now, partly because the consumer demand has remained very strong. The government um, spending has remained very strong as well. But some cracks are beginning Mm -hmm. to show, but they are um, a slow burn, not something that's going to play out necessarily fast and furious, even when we look at things like commercial real estate and the regional banks.
2: Joyce, good to have you back in the house. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Joyce Chang. Uh, all right, quick programming note, folks. We will be in D.C. again tomorrow, as we were the last time uh, for tomorrow's Fed decision. Uh, don't miss a two hour Fed edition of the Exchange and Power Lunch. That begins at 1 p.m. Eastern. We will be there covering it all for you.
3: Looking forward to that. The 10 year yield, like Tyler mentioned, up somewhat after the cooler CPI data today. Shorter term yields are dropping. Maybe Rick Santelli can explain. He
5: joins us now from the SIBO. Rick? There's always an answer to every question, isn't there? As you look at twos and tens on one chart, we know that the CPI data had a little something for everybody. But twos and tens moved about the same. Look at a one-week chart. They moved about the same in the range. Really, we're kind of still in that range. And to answer your question... Well, let's let the charts answer Year-to-date S&P and 10-year. You know, when I used to trade in the pits, if interest rates were going up, I expected the economy was getting a bit better. And that's what I think what stocks are telling us at the moment. Let's see what Mike thinks about it. Mike, here's the big question that was asked. Uh, does it surprise you that the S&Ps, the Dow, the NASDAQ all look so good uh, when interest rates are going up, what do you think of that relationship?
1: I mean, interest rates have been the, the primary driver of volatility this year. People looked at unemployment for how would, what would happen in interest rates. They've looked at, obviously, CPI for this reason. And naturally, they looked at the Fed. Of late, these haven't been big volatility catalysts for the market. We really haven't seen the market reacting dramatically to any of these numbers. Tomorrow should be interesting, but I don't really expect much out of the Fed as far as that goes. CPI today was a pretty muted number. We're not seeing these big inflation numbers. We see, I
5: agree. I don't know anybody thought we were going to see it drop like a boulder from the uh, Sears Tower or Willis Tower. I think what we've seen is the 11th straight month that we have seen year over year headline inflation drop that's not so true with CORE. But core is making a dent. I guess the issue really becomes if the Fed does nothing and kept the rate at five, five and a quarter over time. Do you think that'll make a difference with inflation?
1: I think the 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 idea of having very stable numbers in inflation will actually make people more confident in the market. It's when these numbers move around that people get scared. Just last week we had something like a 30% chance we were going to see a rate hike tomorrow. Now that's in the single digits. We're looking at somewhere 50, 60% for the July meeting. Those type of like kind of planned out, everybody's comfortable with these numbers, that makes people confident in the market. That's why we're seeing the market at yearly highs. People are relaxed with what they're seeing. Now,
5: whenever I'm in a group context, and I bet you it happens with you too, our friends and relatives want to know about this recession. And you had an interesting comment when I said, how do you trade? Do you trade as if there may be a recession, but don't concentrate on it really disrupting your strategy in the here and now?
1: We have been uh, one month away from uh, a recession for the last 18 months.
5: Exactly. And
1: the idea of being scared at all times is usually a really bad trading strategy right now. As we see it, the fix is under 15. The regional bank story is more or less gone away. We had, obviously, the debt ceiling to contend with. That's gone. We're not seeing huge inflation numbers. For the time being, it doesn't seem like a recession is in the cards. Now, who knows what we look like six months down the line? Maybe there's some other catalyst we're not even thinking about. But for the time being, I don't think there's any reason to really, like, get really scared.
5: When it, it seems down. to me like, can't worry about that. Just now the economy is surprisingly strong on labor, leisure and hospitality. We're bringing those workers back. That's most likely pushing rates up. When that wave ends, then we probably have to pay more attention. That's That sounds exactly right. Mike, thanks for joining me today. Tyler and Kelly, Mike and I are tossing it back to you. Mike and Rick, thank you both. We appreciate it. Coming up, a Reddit revolt underway,
3: but this time against the company itself what it could mean for the social media platform as it prepares for a long-awaited IPO. Plus, it's a wonderful life if you're wealthy. George Bailey was the richest guy in town because he had friends. But in 2023, what does it actually take to be considered wealthy? The answer might surprise you. And as we had to break, a quick power check. On the plus side of the S&P, Halliburton up 4.5% along with oil today. More on that later. On the negative side, Biogen down 3%. Some traders citing changes made to their board. Power Lunch is back after this.
6: Picture this. It's Saturday morning and you're on your John Deere compact tractor. You're effortlessly breaking ground on your new landscaping project. Next, you're moving piles of rocks just by moving a lever. And now, you're enjoying the warmth of the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand everything you can do with a John Deere compact tractor, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.
4: Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 Upstream Methane Intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane.
3: Welcome back. Another Reddit revolt is underway, but this time it's a civil war, a house divided against itself. Uh, the Redditors are feuding, feuding with co- corporate leadership over a push to monetize certain services on the platform. All this clearly as the company looks to shift profitability ahead of a long-awaited IPO. But users aren't taking the changes lying down. They're effectively shutting down chunks of the site. Steve Kovac is here to explain. And Steve, it's, it's kind of funny or peculiar, I guess, because they I don't know, They're, they, it's like a, a Robin Hood story, but I can't figure out who like the good guy is, yeah, you know th- what I mean? Th- this
7: is a really complex story, as is everything with Reddit, because Reddit is, the the pages, the subreddits are run by communities of people with moderators. What they are angry about right now is Reddit is making a change saying, if you want to use our data for your own app, there are a lot of third party Reddit apps out there, very popular ones in fact, that just kind of suck up the data from Reddit and put it out on their own app. There used to be Twitter apps like this, too. Exactly. And because of this change, those apps are going to have to start paying for access to that data. Now, there are a lot of reasons why Reddit wants to do this. One, you know, diversify the revenue outside of advertising ahead of an IPO. They filed for an IPO way back in December 2021. That's been delayed because of what markets did last year. And, and then the other reason is they don't want... ChatGPT and other AI services scraping their site for free. Reddit is full of great information that these AI large language models would
2: love to get their hands on. So they're basically saying... So who's the aggrieved party here? These outside scrapers and people it, who are who are scooping up Reddit data? Correct. Not the people inside who are on Reddit or working at well, Reddit. Well, both. Necessarily, it, why, why would they it's, be? It's also
7: both because they're upset because they can't use the apps that they would want to for free. So Reddit has its own app, but there are a bunch of third-party apps that these people love to use. And in protest, a lot of popular subreddits got shut down by their moderators in protest of this change. Basically, they say, you know, Reddit's just chasing money here. This is, you know, hurting the community and so forth. This is something Twitter went through, a very similar thing, uh, around the time of its IPO, as it was trying to get profitable and monetize, there are a lot of third party Twitter apps out there and they started reining in their data as well, closing it off. But the AI bit is really interesting because this is a way for them to kind of capitalize on this large language model generative the AI boom and say, great, take our data, just pay, pay us for it. Uh, that's a really good model for them, especially because of how much uh, interest oh, and knowledge people about this. Very angry. So The Verge just reported this, and this is actually really sad. Steve Huffman, the CEO of Reddit, sent out a memo to employees saying, do not go outside wearing Reddit gear because there's fears of physical violence. That's the implication there. Redditors but wouldn't are, the violence
3: be inside? I mean, right, right. <laughs> who's going to attack them from the outside? Yeah,
7: Redditors, uh, certain corners of Reddit are very interesting people, and <laughs> uh, to say the least. And uh, I mean, I can't imagine myself getting so angry over a website making a change like this that I'd want to hurt someone who works on that website. Yeah. But uh, there's clearly, they're getting indications enough that, you know, they had to send out that warning for sure. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's. Uh, but look, this this company is going to How IPO. How many people use Reddit? Do we know? I, I forget what the it's latest. It, it's a lot. It's it's oh, well over a oh, hundred, million. couple hundred million. Yeah, but I forget the exact number. There's but it's scale a of Twitter. Oh yeah, bigger than Twitter. Bigger I would say Twitter. yeah. T- t- Twitter's maybe two hundred. Uh, yeah. So it's it's huge, and it's it's also a very passionate community too. So it's not just people who check it randomly. It's people who care about it so much, basically for free. They'll manage these subreddits and, and manage these uh, mini communities. Uh, there's just a lot of heart and soul people put into this. That's why we see such passion mm. around any major change they make.
3: So now the question, obviously, this is more than a distraction. It comes, I don't know what the latest reporting is about how quickly they might try to IPO, but they have, they're they going to have to put this to, to rest, answer questions about, you know, whether it's they've seen any fall off in user day and profitability, Um, if they are really preparing to do this imminently.
7: Yeah, and we know it. still most of their money comes from ads. They do have a paid product and and so forth. And this might not be a huge business for them, but look, it's very similar to Facebook. Facebook has its own data locked in. Google can't just go there and scrape it. Chatbots can't just go in there and scrape it. They own the data too. It's Reddit's right to do this whatever they want with their data on their site. To me, it sounds smart, especially because we talk about this in journalism. I think we had a discussion about this last week on the show that the last thing you want to do is give, give away all this uh, IP for free and then have the chatbots and, you know, Microsoft and so forth make the money instead of the people who actually created the content. That's, that's what they're going for here. All, all right. right.
2: Thank you, Steve. Thanks. Appreciate it. Steve Kovac. Oil prices higher today following big declines yesterday. Uh, Goldman Sachs slashing its forecast as demand worries remain. We'll tackle that one next.
3: Welcome back to Power Lunch, everybody. Oil rebounding today after yesterday's big drop and really big declines all year. Still below 70, I think. Let's bring in Pippa Stevens for all the details.
9: Yeah, WTI is still below 70 right now uh, after that big drop yesterday when it dropped about 4.3%. So it is making back those gains, but once again, still below that $70 level. A couple of factors driving the bullishness today, including China cutting a key short-term lending rate. And so the idea there is to inject some um, optimism into that post-COVID you know COVID recovery that has yet to actually come to fruition. Uh, then, of course, we had cooling inflation data, which then you know, sets the stage for tomorrow's Fed decision. And so if there is a pause, then people are more optimistic that we'll still see demand growth for WTI. And actually Goldman Sachs out today with a note saying that uh, the e stocks have underperformed, but they think that they are now starting to look better uh, in part because of cooling raw material costs. Things like sand and tubular piping, those prices have started to ease. So they said that's beneficial looking forward. They did upgrade Devon, but downgraded EOG based on a less favorable outlook for natural gas prices.
2: Where had Goldman's price been and where is it now?
9: So uh, yesterday that there was that big coil call on oil. So today right. is about energy stocks. But yesterday for Brent, it was uh, 90, I believe, I believe it was 96 going down to 87, somewhere in that range. On the Brent, I'll have to d- double check. Yeah. Well, I, 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 that, I throw no, them but, to you. Yeah, but but, but, it, but it mattered WTI. because they'd been so bullish for such a yeah, long time. Yeah, I thought
2: they'd been bullish. Yeah, yeah. And, and
9: so they said it was all about those supply, the supply, just more supply than we had thought. Based but he's on only Russia and Iran.
3: short-term throwing in the towel, not throwing in the long-term mm-hmm. towel. Mm-hmm. Hanging on. I mean, that's what he said. It's sort of okay. The near-term upside is gone, but we we remain structurally bullish for the longer term.
9: Well, balancing the short term and the longer term, you know, you can add in quite a few qualifiers there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right, Pippa, thanks, Pippa Stevens. Let's get to Contessa Brewer now for a CNBC News update Contessa.
0: Tyler, former President Donald Trump arrived at a Miami courthouse within the past hour to surrender to authorities and be arraigned on federal criminal charges. He was escorted in by a fleet of armored SUVs and police motorcycles. Now, no cameras are allowed in the courtroom, so we won't get a look inside at the proceedings, but we do know the booking process just wrapped up moments ago. Trump was indicted last week on 37 counts related to more than 100 classified documents recovered from his Mar-a-Lago estate last August. Three people died in two van attacks in the English city of Nottingham. Police say the first two victims were found dead about dawn, and then a third person was later found on a different street more than a mile away. Police arrested a 31-year-old man on suspicion of murder. They're working with counterterrorism officers to try to establish a motive. And India is suspending cargo activities at a port in West India as a cyclone barrels toward the country. At least 3,000 people have evacuated. The storm is classified as very severe. It's expected to
3: make landfall Thursday. We'll keep an eye on that. Kelly? Absolutely. Contessa, thanks. Ahead on Power Lunch, AMD is looking to invade NVIDIA's turf, showing off its new AI chips. We'll trade that name and others in today's special deluxe three-stock lunch. Plus, the biggest public pension planning a multi-billion dollar push into venture capital. We've got more details in today's tech check. We're back in a couple of minutes. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for our three-stock lunch. and We've got a deluxe edition today with three key stock stories on our radar. Our team of reporters will give us the news and moves. There they are. Then our trader, Scott Nations, president of Nations Indexes, will give us his trades. Welcome, everybody. Let's start with Home Depot with our very own Dom Chu. Dom, what's going on there?
10: All right. So, Kelly Tyler, Home Depot shares have been wavering between gains and losses. As you can see, there, pretty much all session long but none of the moves have really been all that dramatic meaning perhaps that home depot and ceo ted decker pretty much gave investors exactly what they were already expecting at today's investor day now decker and the rest of the home depot management team affirmed their full year forecast for america's biggest home improvement retailer adding that it expects overall home improvement markets to grow by low single digits with gross profit margins pretty much in line with what they were last year. Now, one of the things that Home Depot and other retailers will be struggling with is the concept of shrinkage. Now, that's industry jargon for the negative effects of theft on a company's financial results, something Ted Decker spoke about in his interview with Becky Quick earlier today on Squawk Box.
11: It's a big problem for retail and it, and it goes across retail. And, and, and just to take a minute, sort of, at the root cause of this, this isn't the random shoplifter anymore. Th- these are organized crime rings that are organizing and sending runners in to stores to steal en masse. And then, you know, this fencing is much more sophisticated. It isn't just pawn shops anymore. A lot of this product is fenced on online marketplaces.
10: All right. So Kelly Tyler, shrink, shrinkage, those words will be heard a lot more from retailers in the coming months and quarters. I'll send things back over to you. That is quite something. Yeah, A company like Home Depot, especially.
3: All right, Scott, what's your take on the stock? What do you do with Home Depot?
11: Dom laid it out really well. I think it's a buy. Again, the fact that they reaffirmed guidance is disappointing because both revenue and earnings expected to fall this year. But This is the name that can take advantage of stabilization of the home improvement business. P.E. is still below 20, it's not exactly a bargain, but the stock is down 5% year-to-date. So this is an investor stock. This is one you're going to look back in three years and say, you know what, I did really well there, just because of of where they are in the space. They're the leader in the space.
2: All right, let's get to uh, Christina parson and she's going to tell us about AMD. Hi, Christina.
12: Well, hi, Uh, AMD's presentation just ended. Lisa Su took the stage. She said, AI demand is going to be quote a lot, which is why they believe their total addressable market is gonna go from about $30 billion this year to literally over 150 billion in just four years in 2027. And how they're gonna do that? They announced a new GPU chip, which is the MI300X. What we need to know is that this chip is gonna be very strong when it comes to memory, about 192 gigabytes. And it's gonna start sampling in the third quarter of this year with customers, so this is seen as very good news for the company because it could be seen as an alternative to NVIDIA's GPUs. NVIDIA already dominates the market, already owns roughly 70% of the AI data center market, so this is an opportunity for AMD to steal market share. They also announced software that would go with said GPU uh, chips. This would be open software. And then lastly, there were many announcements around their CPU, their central processing units. Uh, But really, if I were to read the room, and they're literally coming out right now, all of the analysts seem to get up when Lisa you spoke about ai they're all snapping pictures and that seems to be a lot of the excitement around this next generation gpu that'll allow amd to compete with nvidia and i'll have more uh, later on at four o'clock with my interview with her
2: all right scott very rosy picture being painted there on amd you buy it uh
11: it's rosy because it's a bubble and while ai may end up doing wonderful things for mankind the stock is up thirty percent for the month it's up nearly 100% year to date. Uh, and it's a bubble. The The company is actually expected to see slightly lower revenue, slightly lower earnings mm-hmm. in 2023. PE of 40. Uh, I'm old enough to have seen a couple of bubbles. So I, it's a hold. I'm not going to buy it. That doesn't mean you short it, because it can't get more of a bubble, become more of a bubble. But the, this is the, the business side of this isn't really going to play out for two or three years.
2: All right. Let's uh, remind viewers not to miss AMD CEO Lisa Su in a first on CNBC interview that comes this afternoon. Uh, she'll join John uh, join the closing bell overtime live at 4 p.m. Eastern time. We'll see her then and we hope we see you there.
3: And let's get to Boeing now. Phil LeBeau here with the news. Hi, Phil.
2: Hey, Kelly, when you look at the May orders and deliveries, let's start first off on the order side. 58 planes were ordered in the month of May. So you take a look at shares of Boeing, which are pretty much at a one year high, close to it if they're not there already. 127 year to date have been ordered, but it's the delivery side that people are focused on. Some 737 MAX have to do some inspections, potential rework. Well, they're still delivering. May 50, they delivered. 36 of those being maxes. Given the fact that they're going to have to start doing those inspections and reworks, there you see the year to date number 206. As you take a look at Boeing and Airbus shares, keep in mind that we get the Paris Air Show next week. We will likely hear some large orders for both of those companies. Guys, back to you.
3: All right, Phil, thank you very much. Scott, Boeing, what do you do with this one?
2: It's a
11: great business and a great company. Unfortunately, it's a hold. It's up 15% year to date. And as Phil laid out, they've, they've got too many problems right now to get very enthusiastic about a company that's nearly doubled from the low in September. Uh, they've had trouble making deliveries. Phil laid it out, but 64 deliveries in March, but only 26 in April. They're pausing the 787 deliveries. They're not going to be profitable this year. And even if you go out to 2025, when they will be profitable, Given the current price, the PE is still almost 25. A great company with a great legacy. They're going to do well in the future. They're just not going to do well in the very near
2: future. You know, we had a guest earlier today from uh, uh, JP Morgan, Scott, who said that if equities were pricing in what bonds seem to be pricing in, equities would be prone to a 20% decline from current values. You buy that?
11: I think the problem for equities in general is that uh, the the indexes have been supported by just a tiny number of names. And I think what might happen if, if we get a little bit little bit of bad news, then those biggest names are mm-hmm. really going to take the brunt of it because that's where people have gains. But it's also going to be where they feel like they can get out at the best price. They can get some liquidity to get out. So uh, the, the fact that we've had a run-up and it's been focused in so
2: few names, I think that's really a vulnerability for a market. All right. Interesting take there. Scott Nations, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All righty. The biggest pension fund, public pension fund in America, planning a multi-billion dollar push into venture capital and more risk on assets We'll ask a different public pension fund manager if he would make the same investment here. And as we head to break, June is Pride Month. CNBC celebrating all month long, sharing stories of corporate leaders. Here is Julie Beal, Kanye Anderson, and Rudnick portfolio manager and a CNBC contributor.
10: When I started my career on Wall Street, there was very little representation. You know, you may know that someone was gay privately, but it wasn't someone who was out and who was comfortable. And so it didn't leave a lot of room for anyone else to feel safe, to step out. And I think that's the responsibility for you know, us elders to be out there and to create space and create safety for the younger gay people. There's just as many gay people now as there were back then. There's just way more room for them now.
2: Big investors might now be looking to the private markets for a tech comeback. Earlier this week, CalPERS set out plans to push into venture capital as part of its private equity portfolio. Deirdre Bosa joins us now with a special guest for today's Tech Check. Deirdre.
13: Tyler, thank you very much. And I am pleased to have Chris Aylman, Chief Investment Officer of CalSTRS, second largest public pension fund in the country, join me. Chris, it's great to talk to you again. Um, you just heard what Tyler said. CalPERS, as I'm sure you know, increasing its allocation to venture. What is Calsters and how are you thinking about it as an investment class at the moment?
8: You know, Deirdre, we're staying as a steady investor in venture capital and in private equity Both we and CalPERS, sadly, I would say, being in California, right next to Silicon Valley, we're both Mm -hmm. underweight venture capital, and it has a lot to do with our sheer size. But then the disclosure laws in California, a lot of the VCs would rather Mm -hmm. take their other money. I think it's a great move for them. Uh, They've been behind the curve in private equity. They haven't done a lot of investing in the last decade. Uh, Believe me, I like to throw rocks at them, but it is my pension (laughs) plan, oddly enough. It's just down the river. Uh, But... You know, I think we've been a steady state investor in private equity through the decade. They were in and out. Uh, for us, we're actually 15, uh, almost 16 percent in private equity. So yeah. pretty comfortable where we're at right now.
13: Right. And CalPERS called it a lost decade. And you just said that you guys perhaps under allocated as well. Is it too late? I mean, we've just seen a decade plus of this boom in VC and the startup world in an era of low interest rates. We're in a very different one, it looks like, for the next upcoming years. So how can you capitalize it, you guys as well, in your allocation and CalPERS if this sort of moment is subdued?
8: Well, what I'm saying is that at, at our sheer size, 300 billion for us, 500 billion or something like that for them, it's just hard to put a lot of money to work in venture capital. And literally, our disclosure rules,
10: uh-huh. a
8: lot of the VCs throw us out. Uh, they'd rather take money from the sovereign wealth funds. So, even if we liked venture capital in this area, and it's it, you know it is part of our portfolio, it I would say U.S. venture is the most interesting area. I know their uh, private equity guy mentioned going into non-US VC. We found those markets kind of challenging. The dollar has been so strong. I, you know, the innovation is here in the USA. So still an opportunity, but not something we're going to be able to overweight just because of our size or them. Chris, Uh, they have just been out of that market.
2: It's Tyler here, you've mentioned a couple of times the idea that the the VCs kind of don't want your money. They'd rather take money from others because of disclosure issues what specifically uh, are those disclosure issues and why are they so vexing
8: tyler you know it's a ge- it's a great example of california wanting to be open and share our portfolio and and have us provide information uh, the san jose mercury news was the one pushing on the other side And so it's very unique to California pensions, not just PERS and STERS, but even the counties. We have to disclose a lot of information about our private equity portfolio. And frankly, in in Silicon Valley, they love to be private. They don't want to talk to anybody. So, uh, you know, maybe we're sort of the Rodney Dangerfield of the country club. They (laughs) like other people more than they like us. Mm -hmm. So one more question. Uh,
2: If you look at venture capital funds, What is their hit rate? Are they looking to hit on one out of 10 investments they make? Three out of 10? What is it?
8: Yeah, you hit it on the head. One out of 10. No, it's amazing. I, you know, Tyler, you know, I've been in the business a long time. I invested in in venture way back in the 90s when I remember a fund returning over 100 percent, they said in the end, the return wasn't there. Uh, it's a very uneven hit rate. And you're right. If they can break even on five of the investments, only lose money on four, but have one out of 10 a, mm-hmm. as a home run, they're going to invest in that area. And, and, and that's what makes it worthwhile. The U.S. is the home to amazing innovation. And Lord knows in the next 20 years, yeah, I care about climate change. We need that rate of innovation and change. Mm-hmm. We'll see what AI is. I, I think Wall Street's overhyped AI, but uh, we'll see where that goes.
13: How so? How is Wall Street overhyped AI? Are you talking about the you know, mega I,
8: the, you, This morning I heard on CNBC that we're talking about the fact that it's it's all CapEx right now. It's huge CapEx. Last time I checked, and I think Tyler and you and I have talked about this, CapEx is actually not good for EPS. So mm-hmm. right now it's it's all on hype. <laughs> which Wall Street well, makes there's, money Well, there's
13: on. revenue too, Chris. I mean, take a look at Nvidia, right? That wasn't just capex. I mean, <laughs> that's actual billions of dollars more than expected coming in the door and can you not see that path for some of the other names like Microsoft, Google, or who exactly are you referring to?
8: Well, no, I'm, I, you know, they're, they're the, the old adage of they're doing the, the shovels and the picks because NVIDIA is making the chips, which are in high demand, mm-hmm. but that's part of that CapEx. So we'll see. It's the big names that eventually will make money. Okay. But you, when you have the CFO warning you of Microsoft that they're going to be spending a huge amount of money, I think you ought to listen to that. Doesn't mean so- the tech rally is over, but I, I think it's overhyped on AI.
13: Okay. So, Chris, is one of the largest pension funds in the country, then, how are you thinking about your tech exposure? If you think that this is a big AI bubble, what are you doing?
8: Well, and I wouldn't say bubble. I just think it's overhyped. And I think that tech, uh, I'm concerned. Tyler and I have talked a lot about the fact that we're a passive investor. We hold the entire mm-hmm. market. So I am very concerned at how narrow this market is. Forty percent of the S&P is actually down on the year. This is not exactly feeling like a bull market like we usually see. So we're cautious in here. And I'm worried that tech is especially the big tech is getting ahead of itself.
13: Yeah. The uh, the so-called Magnificent Seven basically carrying the broader markets. Uh, Chris, great to get your insights. I wish we had more time. Uh, Talk to you again soon. Chris Aylman, Chief Investment Officer of CalSTRS. Deirdre, thanks for bringing that
3: to us. We appreciate our thanks to Chris as well. Coming up, what it takes to be considered wealthy. Is it dollars and cents, the size of your investment portfolio, or is it intangibles like free time and well-being? The results of our exclusive CNBC survey when Power Lunch returns. How much money do you need to have to be wealthy? Sharon Epperson joins us now with one answer, but also how being wealthy and feeling wealthy are different things, Sharon.
14: They are different things, Kelly. You know, people seem to be rethinking their relationship with money. The new Charles Schwab Modern Wealth Survey asked people what it means to be wealthy. And in a new twist, more Americans mentioned their well-being over money and assets to define their wealth. Charles Schwab polled 1,000 adults, and nearly two-thirds of them say being able to enjoy healthy relationships with their loved ones better describes what wealth means rather than having a lot of money. And 70% say wealth is, not about, is about not having to stress over money. Only 30% say it's actually having more money than most people you know. The survey finds it takes an average net worth of $2.2 million to be considered wealthy, but that's for other people. What about you? Well, among the 48% of Americans who say they already feel wealthy today, their average net worth is about a quarter of that at about $560,000. We're going to have a lot more to talk about in terms of wealth and money at the virtual CNBC Financial Advisor Summit on June 15th. And to join us, you can scan the QR code there, register... Um, at cnbcevents.com slash financial advisor.
2: I I, I find it interesting that wealth and well-being get intersected here.
14: Yeah, people think there's a magic number. And that magic number doesn't make people feel happy or wealthy necessarily. So I think Mm -hmm. this is showing that more people want to just not be stressed about how much money they have. They want to have a better balance, if you can call that, or figure out what their priorities are are in terms of work and in terms of their life. And they want to have relationships and enjoy experiences Mm -hmm. more than having a lot of money.
3: It gives you a sense of where people are willing to spend money. Um, Exactly. And, you know, it has been well documented as society gets Mm -hmm. lonelier, that idea of spending to create or support connections with people who you already have. That's vacations, that's exactly. travel, that's different arrangements. Uh, you know, maybe spending on that chat GPT AI <laughs> friend on Snapchat or something. I mean, but it kind of tells you where, you know, where they want to put that money. Yeah,
14: when, when, when we all are always talking about in a faltering economy, why is travel still OK? Or mm-hmm. why are the people are having these experiences where they want to spend time together. They want to make memories in that way rather than, you know, actually their investments
3: necessarily or, having a significant amount of money. Even the cruise ship uh, the other day, I think it was Carnival, said a big driver of their bookings and their revenues are multi-generational families traveling where the baby boomer is mm-hmm. booking the cruise and then kind of bringing everybody else because it's time intensive to book these things and you have to kind of figure it out you say so it's just funny to, to watch that dynamic play
14: millennials out. and gen z also may be looking at what people are doing in terms of their experiences the social media impact oh yeah. that's driving wealth what does it mean to be wealthy people are looking at what they see wealth to be and wanting to do that. They're also looking at social media to get, to get advice, whether it's financial advice, investment advice, um, particularly millennials.
2: Very interesting. Sharon, they find thanks a very a much. We'll see you at the F.A. Summit Absolutely. later this week. Still to right. come, breakfast lovers rejoice. Egg prices just posted their biggest monthly decline since the Truman administration. Some of those eggs have been around since the Truman administration. <laughs> Details on that and much more when Power Lunch returns.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Three and a half minutes left in the show and a bunch more stories that you need to know about. So let's get right to it, starting with apartment rental growth declining fast, shifting the market to the tenant's favor for the first time in years. The largest deceleration over any year in recent history, according to data firm CoStar Group and rental software company RealPage. If we get an annual decline, it'd be relief for millions after rents rose 25 percent nationally uh, in about the two years prior to that.
2: I don't know where they're measuring this, because in my town, rents are doing nothing but going up still.
3: Part of the question is, are and this goes back to a CPI issue as well, and obviously the whole reason we care is because it's a big CPI input, Well, and also just because we care, new rents versus existing rents that are being Mm -hmm. renewed. So it's Mm -hmm. a lot easier to capture the new rents, but those often overstate the degree of rental price inflation. So when you start to see existing rents where... You know, you might still think the price is high, but it's just not going up not as fast up as, as fast. it was. Yeah. and in some cases, people are negotiating kind of soft it's true. ways. True. A lot of, of the places in
2: our town are new rentals, so they're coming yeah. on the market for the first time, and they're sixty-five hundred dollars for a two-bedroom. Same, apartment. absolutely.
3: It just, it's, it's wild.
2: Manhattan it's prices. Manhattan prices in the suburbs. Yeah. Uh, Overstock.com trying potentially to scoop up Bed Bath and Beyond's assets. From bankruptcy. It has an offer on the table for $21 million for intellectual property and business data, among other things. And another bankruptcy in the space, Instant Brands, the company behind Instant Instant Pot and Pyrex filing for Chapter Eleven protection. That one has been owned by, I believe, Pyrex and Corningware, owned by a Cornell Capital Company, I guess a private equity company. I assume that those two were loaded up with debts, and they listen,
3: Instant Pot going bankrupt. Tyrex
2: going bankrupt. I
3: I have all of these products. We all do. I guess that's the problem. You buy them all once, especially during the pandemic, and you're making all these, and then you don't need to buy it ever again.
2: And we'll see what happens with uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. I think the um, auction is supposed to be next week, like Wednesday.
3: $21 million from Overstock.com can't be the sum total of the value there. That's just what I'm curious about. Uh, Kind of related, we have some relief for people's grocery bills. It could come at a cost for the largest egg producer, though. Shares of CalMain Foods slipping today after the latest CPU report showed egg prices down 14% in May. That's the biggest monthly drop in 72 years. So
2: go to your rental apartment, boil some eggs, <laughs> buy some eggs. It's all going to be cheaper. It's going to be much better there once you get there.
3: You know, the egg thing, I'll just say, is so idiosyncratic. I've never found yeah. it to be that interesting. I mean, there was avian flu. It just, yeah. There's not a lot to read from this, except that, it, of course, now they're. Dr- it's the shortages to glut story all over again, playing out with We have friends
2: in town time. who have chickens. They grow their own eggs. So they, do they, we. Price protection there. Exactly. The eggs are better. Tr- All right.
3: Tractor Supply said people were buying chickens because is, of is that, that right? yeah. Absolutely.
2: All right. Shares of Manchester United uh, surging after a tweet from, Qatari, from a Qatari newspaper fueled speculation the team is close to being sold. The tweet in question cited press reports that a bid from a Qatari business mogul to buy the soccer team was, quote, successful. But ESPN reports that multiple investors are still waiting for an answer on their bids to buy Man U and that no decision has been made. Man you on pace for its best day in the stock market since February. We shall see what happens there, whether yet again another big pocketed sort of government supported uh, investor will get a big. And
3: congratulations to the Denver Nuggets and to Stan Kroenke, who's the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. He owns the Rams, who won the Super Bowl. And he owns, uh, you know, the Nuggets. Nuggets. Good for him. Congrats to them and Jokic.
2: All righty, we'll see you tomorrow from Washington with the Fed decision. See you then.
6: If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is,
8: I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak.
6: Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free. Confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.